welcome to the only podcast that's all about Fort Meade, our community, and life in the military. I'm your host, Joe Nieves. And I'm your co-host, Sherry Kuiper, and you're listening to Fort Meade Declassified. Hey, Sherry. (laughs) We always do this at the start of a show. It was like, how do we start this? Yeah, sometimes just saying hi is a good way to get started. It it works everywhere else in life. Yeah, it's true. Uh, And we're in person, so that's nice. It is nice. I'm... um, very excited to be in person, and I'll be very excited to come May 10th when I'm fully vaccinated. Yes, yes. And hopefully that means more in-person things. Yep. So. Yep. Um, and right the day after I get my second shot, so I'll be fully vaccinated, is the day this podcast will air. Yes. So I'll be on, uh, I'll be taking an R&R day. Yes, as you should. Recover. Yeah. You should. So yeah. I had my vac- my second vaccine two days ago. Yeah. And I mean, it went pretty well, you know, good, um, good. the line was very quick to get it. Afterwards, I felt pretty good until about eight o'clock at night. I just conked out. Yeah. Like I slept hard. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it other than I slept hard. And of good. course, the arm hurting thing. Of course. Yeah. Um, was there, but, uh. I drank a lot of Gatorade and water. Nice. Smart. Yeah, and um, didn't have that nausea feeling or something like that. So okay. I wish that on everybody. Yeah. To get that nice, smooth, not a lot of side yes. effects. Also, for, for the listeners out there, Kimbro is actually doing walk-ins now for the vaccine. So that's pretty cool. You can go in and get your vaccine and they set you up with the part two. Yes. And, and do that. And you just have to be a TRICARE beneficiary. So again, that's right. yeah. Kimbro is open for vaccines, TRICARE beneficiary, go get your shot today. I also took the day after the vaccine off, yep. and I'm glad I did. I was very sluggish, yeah, super tired, but in all my sluggishness and laying around, I watched the movie Sound of Metal. Nice. Have you heard of this? Have I you have. seen it? I've seen a lot of trailers, and I've, like, I've read up on what the movie's about. It's Sounded amazing. Yeah. So the funny thing is, is I started watching it a while ago and I only got through like five minutes and I don't know why I stopped, but I thought it was a documentary on metal music. Okay. It's not. It's like an (laughs) indie film. And so I follow Misha Collins on social media. So he played Castiel in Supernatural. Supernatural, of course. And apparently he knows the guy who produced this, went to the Oscars with him. And I was realizing, I was like, well, Misha Collins, if you're listening, I was like, I'm going to give this movie a second chance. And I watched it. It's actually fabulous. And I... I think it's an indie film. It's got an indie film vibe to it if it's not yeah. technically an indie film. <laughs> um, but it's it's really interesting, and um, I don't want to tell anybody too much about it, but it's on Amazon. You can watch it, and it did win an Oscar. It did, um, yeah. So Riz Ahmed was, was nominated, I think, for yeah, Best Actor. he is super cool. Oh, yeah, I bet. I did, I did, I'm sorry to say I didn't know who he was before this movie, but... yeah. I've seen him in other stuff. He's a really good actor. Yes. And he made history being, I think, the first uh, Muslim to be nominated for an Oscar. That's probably true. Yeah. I know he he, he's, he made history as, for, for something like that. It yeah. It was really impressive. But they actually let the plot of the movie be known. So it, it for the people who don't know what the movie's about, it's about a, a metal drummer who is losing his hearing. Right. And it happens very suddenly. Yeah. And it and it's just him trying to come to terms with all of that. So it's a very good movie. Uh nominated for a few Oscars. Yeah. So it's really cool. And uh 
Yeah, Misha Collins actually broke the internet for a little while. He broke Twitter for a few hours because people were like, why is Misha Collins at the Oscars? Yeah. It's like, what's he doing there? For his for his Oscar-winning role in Supernatural, I'm yes. sure. But yeah, I don't know the relationship. I obviously don't know Misha they're Collins. They're but they're friends. somehow, yeah, yeah friends yeah. or something. And he's been promoting it a lot. And I was like... Misha Collins is into a metal documentary. What's up with this? He, and so and then he I was, was like, the oh, guardian angel. yes. And then I was like, oh, this wasn't um, a documentary on yeah. metal music. Yeah. It was about a drummer who lost his hearing. I was yeah. like, interesting. So it was really good. I was pleasantly surprised. I, yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. Obviously, it won an Oscar for some very good reasons. So yeah. that one has my interest because you know I have I have hearing loss and I, I wear hearing aids. So it's one of those things. You where know. It definitely caught my attention. I'm glad you said that, Joe, because yeah. I, when I was watching it, my only connection to anything in that movie is, you know, I play the drums. I'm not a cool metal drummer. I play in a bagpipe band. Totally different hearing loss there. But I thought <laughs> of veterans, and I know so many folks in the military who, for lots of reasons, have lost their hearing, and it's yeah. probably been kind of suddenly. Yeah. And so I really thought, I was like, you know, I bet our veterans could really, or not even veterans, but some active duty folks, too, could really relate yeah. to what he's going yeah. through. And even though it's totally different, obviously losing it because of something that happened in battle or, or whatever yeah. is different than it's drumming. Really different, yeah. um, but the concept is still the same, that exactly. sudden hearing loss of something that you've had your whole life and then all of a sudden it's gone, yeah. Um, yeah. I thought could totally be relatable to our veteran community. For sure. Yeah. And that's immediately what caught my interest yeah. was just to see that battle portrayed uh, on screen is is fascinating. Yes. You know? Because it's a scary idea. And the and the ending was perfect. Oh, the good. ending was perfect. Good. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to tell you, but Thank the ending <laughs> was perfect. And, you know, most uh, most movies don't end this well. I'll Ooh, just leave it okay, at that. Okay, good. good. But, uh, but you know what I was thinking, Joe? What's up? You know what a cool name for a band would be? What's that? Brood 10. Ah, <laughs> Brood 10. Brood 10. It is Wouldn't here. that be a good name? It would be... It, it definitely has that gloomy kind of metal sound to it, you know? <laughs> Which is what we're going to be hearing for like a month on end. Yeah. So Brin 10, if you don't know, they're better known as cicadas and what, mm -hmm. literally billions coming to the surface to sing us the song of their people? Yeah. <laughs> and they've been underground for what, like 15, 17, 17 years? years? Yeah. That's and, crazy. And yeah, like how do they know it's time to come up and grace us with their presence? I think they just know that 2020 was an absolute madness, and now they're like, let's just be the Let's just be the there. Yeah, let's just be there. They planned ahead. They yes, did some they good did. backwards planning on this. So if you're not from this area and you don't know what cicadas are, there's these big, giant cockroach with wings-looking things Oof. that ceremoniously sing to you for hours and hours on end with this high-pitched chirp. Yes. And then they'll be under your feet, crunching under your car. They're literally <laughs> everywhere. They're falling out of trees. And they, and they chirp with a decibel that is just scary. Right. And, and literally billions of them are coming yeah. up out of the ground. Yeah. So be prepared. We're not under any kind of attack or anything <laughs> like that. They're just cicadas. They're pretty much harmless. For the most part, yeah. Except for the whole, like, being giant cockroaches with wings yeah. looking thing. Unless one flies at you and hits you, it's going to feel <laughs> like a golf ball, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so there might be that. But uh, Mary Doyle, who works here in the public affairs office, did a very cool story on the Brunten cicadas and what to expect with that. So be sure to listen into that. We'll have that later in the podcast. But first, Joe, who do we got coming up? We have a very... Very special guest. I, you know, 
I would say it's one of our favorite guests. Um, but the last time he was here, he w- we were virtual. Yes. So so we didn't actually have him here, but it was still one of our favorite kind of interviews with, with somebody. And of course, we are talking about Major General Omar Jones. That's right. He's the uh, commander of MDW and Joint Task Force National Capital Region. Yeah, you got that all out. Very yeah. good. One yeah. try. It's good. No edits there. <laughs> um, it's just really great to have him in the studio with us, uh, if you can call it a studio. But it was in a closet, Joe. Come on now. (laughs) But it was just great to have him in here. It was great to um, to sit down with him and pick his brain and learn some things about him and hear about his time here, especially in this last year. Oh yeah, because it's just been just been crazy. Yeah, he he definitely didn't have a cakewalk. That's for sure. No, definitely not. And so and it's great because you know most of us understand what it's like to deal with these hard times from. From like the granular level, like the ground level, doing the work and making things happen. But then you have somebody who's sitting pretty high up there, you know, after years of hard work and dedication, and they have this bigger view of all of the pieces that are moving around. So it's got to be this complex, interesting thing. So it's really great to have him in here and chat with him. Yeah, I I mean, I I think it's a great interview and to get a chance to to bring General Jones in to have our listeners, you know, hear from him directly. That was our intent, and it's just a very cool thing. He's done some pretty cool stuff. Um, And listen to the lightning round, too. Some very good revealing things about him in the lightning round of the interview. So that's at the end of the interview. Yeah. All right. so, So here's our interview with Major General Jones. We have an exciting guest today. Yes. Major General Omar Jones commander of the Military District of Washington and Joint Task Force National Capital Region. You said that flawlessly. That was, that was pretty good. That's, that's a lot to yeah. say. Got it. A little bit of experience saying long, <laughs> long names. No. Um, he has been the commander for about two years now and will soon be headed to his new role as Deputy Commander of IMCOM, or Installation Management Command. That's right. And this is his second time on Declassified. Last time, it was all about the housing crisis. And yeah. since then, Joe, we've had a few other events Just a few. pop up that have probably kept him a little busier than normal yeah. in this role. And today, we're going to dive into all of that. Without further ado, Major General Jones, thanks for joining us today. Well, sure, Joe, thank you all. It, it, is, it is really good to be back. And, yeah. and you all know I've got a soft spot my heart all the way back into the mid-70s for Fort Meade. I thought you were going to say for the podcast. No, no, I I the podcast. uh, We weren't around that long. Um, But uh, this is is my backyard and always has been close to home. So um, it is very good to be back. And on a sad note, this will be my last official visit to Fort Meade today. I changed wow. command on the 8th of June, and I won't get back to Fort Meade in an official capacity, but I will clearly come back here as a member of the community quite often. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Very yeah. cool. Well, sad, but cool that we get yeah. you on this yeah. day. It's thank, good to be here. Thank you for letting us be a part of that. Well, thank you for including yeah. me again. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And your backyard is Howard County. It is. And, yeah. You know, so it's nice to know that you'll still be yeah. floating around, even though this will be your last official visit here to, to the fort. And, you know, last time you were here, uh, as we just said a minute ago, you were on the podcast probably about a year or so ago, and talking about the housing crisis, how do you think we've been doing with that? The Army, Fort Meade, that's uh, one of the first big events you had to deal with here. Absolutely, and I I had a little bit of experience with that in my last job as Chief of Public Affairs and watching how the Army leadership, uh, Secretary of the Army, Chief Staff of the Army, 
um, undersecretary and vice chief of staff just all in on terms of how we're going to fix this and, and take care of our, um, particularly for uh, um, Fort Meade, our service members across all the services and their families. And in many cases, you know, Fort Meade was was the most challenging starting point. Um, in many, it was, you know, yeah. for for the entire military. Um, you know, back Valentine's Day in 2019, when it really became such a um, appropriately a, a national issue. I will tell you, we're not there yet. Um, yeah. We still got a ways to go. And we have a single service member, a single family member living in a house that is uh, is not to the right quality, that is not uh, that has any life, health, or safety issues, that, then we haven't met the goal yet. Right. But when I look at the progress we have made as an Army, and specifically here, the progress Fort Meade has made since February 2019, you know, both under Colonel Sprague's leadership and now under Colonel Nyland's leadership, just really proud. And, yeah. and I think it is reflective of, first and foremost, the garrison and what both those garrison commanders and their teams have done. I think it's reflective of the approach that our, uh, our residential community initiatives partner, Corvius, has taken here where they said we had some things to fix. And yeah. they have been all in and fixing them and being transparent and acknowledging that they also have a responsibility to re-earn the trust of our folks that live here on the installation. Right. But then it's also to our residents, uh, our, our residents of, of highlighting concerns, the residents of understanding that, that we all, when we live on installations, also have responsibilities to go with living on the installation. But sure. I yeah. think Fort Meade, while still having work to do, is a success story for the Department of Defense. Yes. But uh, we're, we're not going to stop until uh, until it is right for every single family that lives on the installation. Yes, and we built some great relationships yeah. with some of those families here and yeah. have created some outlets. And they are not afraid to let us know. Good. If we yeah. need to fix something, and it's yeah. absolutely good, yeah. and it's it's. I'm glad that we've given them yeah. a better platform yeah. in this. You know, since February 14th, 2019. <laughs> yeah. I bet yeah. Colonel Sprague forgot to give his wife flowers that day. <laughs> he probably did. He probably <laughs> did. I'm sure he made up for it though. But you know, I, I welcome that. And I and there's yes. so many things in the pandemic that I mean, first and foremost, the pandemic has been you know just tragic from the from the loss of life and the health impacts and all the rest. But from a professional piece, one of the things I've missed the most. It's just engaging with people in person. It's just yeah. not yeah. the same doing it through screens. And, and I've missed the town halls. And sometimes yeah. you get some hard questions in town halls. But, right. but I welcome them because th- those families and those service members, to stand up in a town hall or to even put a question online or to send it to you all, public affairs office here, that takes some courage. Yeah. Um, but we'll have blind spots if they don't tell us and they don't tell us where right. we need to do better. Absolutely. So I welcome it. So please tell us. Please tell us where we can do better. Please tell us if we are not providing the quality housing that you deserve and we'll get it fixed. And that's my commitment to you. And I can absolutely feel comfortable speaking on behalf of Colonel Nyland that when I change command, he will still be in command here. Or he and uh, my successor will absolutely continue that commitment to each and every one of you. So, yeah. and that, and that's great that you yeah. said it that way, um, because that actually brings us into one of the things we wanted to talk about, mm-hmm. is what kind of job do you think the Army has done in responding to residents, and like, how, how's the feedback been from mm-hmm. our residents? Like, it, how, how do you think that's been? Overall, I, I think it has been good, but feedback and listening are two of those things you can always do better at. Yeah. You know, there's always going to be someone who didn't feel heard or it wasn't the, the forum that they felt mo- most comfortable communicating their concerns or their comments or whatever it happened to be. So I think we have done a better job of both acknowledging that um, the government has a responsibility um, here. And, I, and yeah. I think that's up and down from the Department of Defense level down to the garrison level that, you know, this is a partnership. And as I said up front, it, it involves both the garrison, the the partner, as well as our residents here. And I think we're in a better place there, but you can always listen more. 
and you can always do more to whether it's walk the streets and just you know listen to residents that come up to you, whether it's ice complaints, whether it is folks that call in to uh, folks to uh, folks like this, whether it is. Um, you know, uh, feedback in any form, or the town halls, once it's safe to start doing those in person again. Um, I think that is one thing that we'll all take away is that um, listening is just a critical piece of this. Yeah. 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 And one of the things yeah. I really like about what I've seen for here at Fort Meade, for mm-hmm. example, I imagine extrapolated mm-hmm. at your level, we haven't stopped working on those things, even in the midst of the pandemic. We're still, like the commands are still working mm-hmm. on getting these things sorted out. Corvius is still working on you know, yes. improving yep. their processes. Yep. It's been impressive to see that continue. And we're still having those town halls and we're yeah. doing them virtually and yeah. we're still doing them quarterly and getting participation. So it's nice. It's, it is nice. Yeah. And like you said, Joe, there's a lot going on right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, yeah. there is. And I'll tell you both, that's the impression that I have. So as I look across the military district of Washington team, that as we, um, as I say, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's the pandemic. We are not there yet. Right. And we got to keep doing exactly yeah. what we're doing because the virus is still out there. And we got to continue to protect ourselves, protect the team, to protect the missions that are so darn critical that happen here in Fort Meade to our entire nation. But I think in so many ways, we are organizationally better by the experience we've had from the pandemic. You know, who would have thought that we could effectively do a town hall virtually, you know, 14 months ago? Who would have thought that, you know, we would be able to do all the things that the garrison has continued to do and just get better at virtually? And it's been the same at the MDW level. What I'm excited about is when the pandemic is history and we are able to bring more folks back. I hate to say the phrase back to work because people are working really hard. But back into the headquarters in person, but still maintain these virtual capabilities. It's going to be fantastic for us. Yeah, yeah, that'll be great yeah. because I do like the virtual stuff, but I also like coming into the office. This is probably yeah. the first time in six months I'm not wearing Crocs or Chuck Taylors. <laughs> I actually have proper shoes on. Very nice. Uh, so, yeah. so, but I like the dynamic yeah. of coming in the office. Yeah. I love being around the yeah. team. Yeah. But there are days it's just, I'm just in meetings. I can just sit at the computer at home and yeah. do it and have my dog at my feet. Mm-hmm. And it just... It, it's a different kind of motivation. Yeah. It, and it's taught us that we can do the job in different ways. Right. Like And still be super effective. Right, exactly. Like, we knew we had the option. We just didn't realize we'd be... Not that we wouldn't be so good at it. We just didn't realize how well it could work. Yeah. Right, exactly. You know? well, so I'll tell you, it was probably the 13th or 14th of March last year in 2020. Um, I had just come out of a, an, an Army uh, training course. Even generals have to go to school. And uh, <laughs> so it was when the pandemic had just been declared as a pandemic. World yeah. Health Organization, the president declared a national emergency. And my chief of staff, Colonel Brandon Robbins, came in and said, sir, we got to go virtual right now. And I said, the wheels are coming off the cart. This is never going to work. And those first two weeks were a couple, a couple, a little, little rough, you know? Yeah. But um, <laughs> it is, uh, it really is incredible how across the board the team has embraced, okay, different environment, but we still have a mission. We got to get the mission done. And uh, it's, it's amazed and impressed me every single day. Yeah. Well, so we've been talking a little bit about, we talked about the housing crisis. We talked a little bit about the pandemic. So, so as your time as commander, mm-hmm. you've had the housing crisis, you've had the pandemic, you had the riots at the Capitol on January mm-hmm. 6th. That is not normal. I mean, this <laughs> pandemic, we haven't yeah. had a pandemic pandemic in like 100, 100 years. years yeah. So this is not normal. Looking back, I mean, how how did that impact your everyday job as a commander? What was it like? Uh, live, are you get like they say on the internet? Are you getting sick of living through historical events? Like, what was that like? Those, I mean, those were some really major things that happened on yeah. on your time. So, what, well, first we have banned the word unprecedented. We started yeah. using the word unprecedented and historic yeah. to, uh, too mm-hmm. many times. But um, what what I told so for the inauguration, 
our headquarters day to day is about 250 people, and we expand to just shy of a thousand just in the headquarters right. for the inauguration. And as each of those teammates went back, and they were across all the services, and they went back to their home stations really through, you know, late January through the end of March, early April. Um, and I had a chance to farewell each of them and, and thank them. And what I told them is that they had a piece of American history. And that, you know, their kids, their grandkids, et cetera, are going to study, I would have said a chapter, um, but maybe a couple chapters now that are going to be 2020 and 2021 in the American history books. And they had a piece of that. And they're going to be able to say, I was there when. And and you're right. Um, You know, when I took command, I thought it was going, my focus was going to be getting housing right and doing all the things we've talked about. I thought we're going to have a lot of focus on getting ready for the um, 59th presidential inauguration and, and all of those things. But it really started even before the pandemic. Right. I was up in uh, in New York with uh, um, my wife, Tracy, and I have one son who's still home. He's about to graduate high school here at the end of May. And I was up uh, with him in New York right around New Year's for an indoor track meet. And my phone rang, and it said, you need to take a classified phone call right now. So I did all the right things, take a classified phone call. And uh, there were threats by um, yeah. there were threats against some of our senior leaders that live on one of our other bases in, um, in Military District of Washington. Yeah. And so we had to approach, how do you defend a base? In the United States, um, and how do you make sure we can take care of the residents, take care of the community, but also protect right. the folks that live there? And so that started in January and continues to this date, and will continue into the future. But from there to the pandemic, from yeah. the pandemic to civil disturbance operations in June, yeah. uh, where we had uh, two brigades from across the Army that came in and joined the 12 commands that we already have under the District of Washington, plus our four joint commands, with a lot of focus on um, being ready, but also how do we support our National Guard partners, Maryland, right. Virginia but definitely our D.C. National Guard partners. Um, And then from there, how do you do an inauguration in um, a time of unrest, in a pandemic, and with a lot of political um, uncertainty, where we did not even have a certified winner of the presidential election until almost a month after the election, which really made planning and preparation even more challenging. Um, From all of that, I could not be prouder of this team. And I know every commander before change of command says that, but um, I, I will tell you. Well, uh, you get to yeah. say it extra because they, <laughs> they had to I, do it during a pandemic. I will so. put yeah. stop it, but exactly. I, I will tell you. So at the night, end of the inauguration day, and we can talk about inauguration, and I know we will here a little bit, but at the end of the day, I'm back in my office, and, and Tracy's there with me, and you know, she had, you know, I was just so thankful there's a number of ventures she was able to join me with throughout the inauguration day. And we were watching the last event, the, the event at the Lincoln Memorial, uh, on TV in the office. And then we see the president and first lady on the balcony at the White House. So they've gone back from Lincoln. So that at that point, I know the day is complete because that was our trigger was, can we make sure the president uh, and the first lady are, are safely in the White House? All inauguration events are complete. And then we had to kind of change our posture from there. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Not a hiccup, not a single issue, not a concern. The team across the entire region performed perfectly. And that's a really strong word. But I was so incredibly proud of everything that given all those challenges we just talked about and to pull off a perfect inauguration given that period of time. That would be one of those things that, you know, going forward, I will always reflect back on that moment and thinking about just every service member, every civilian, everyone that had a piece of that came together um, on an international stage and just did it, represented the entire Department of Defense uh, with, with great honor. And it was just yeah. a, it was humbling to be part of it. They better watch yeah. out at MCOM because your standards are much higher now. <laughs> yeah. sure. oh, like, I'm looking forward to joining the yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm yeah. absolutely sure, but I could imagine that your standards must be must ho- much yeah. higher after successfully pulling <laughs> off those amazing events in less than 
perfect conditions. Yeah. I mean, even in an ideal year, those, <laughs> it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. So I, I think a big question is, is how did you sleep the night before the inauguration? <laughs> so um, that's a funny question. Um, so as, as, as you know, uh, as we've talked last time I was here, so I still live in Ellicott City. Um, which is my hometown, and I was there in my last job in the Army staff. And uh, just reflective of the Army's leadership, when I was selected for this command, uh, the current vice chief staff of the Army brought me in and said, okay, where are you going to live? And I said, sir, I'm going to live wherever the Army needs me to, and yeah. that's sure. what you do. But my wife and my son are going to stay, because that way I can get my son through one high school. You know, each of my oh. other sons did multiple high schools. That's been, yeah. They're going to stay tough, where they yeah. are. It's and General tough, Martin yeah. looked at me and said, well, stay where you are as long as you can do the job. So I've done that. So I still live in Ellicott City. Uh, My wife's family's 15 minutes west. My family's 15 minutes east. Just an incredible experience. Um, But there have been a period, you know, a few times where I've had to stay down in D.C., understandably, because Mm -hmm. of the mission. Sure. So in the couple days before the inauguration, uh, uh, Tracy and I stayed down at at lodging. Unfortunately, the Navy Yard, which has really good (laughs) lodging, but there's no lodging on McNair. Actually, wonderful lodging on the Navy Yard. So we stayed down there. And in all candor, I slept incredibly well um, before the inauguration. And it goes back to that team that I talked about. I just, I had no concerns. I knew they had it. But I will tell you the one um, night that I did not sleep at all, civil disturbance, you know, I stayed in the headquarters for a week, but again, had great confidence because the team was handling things. Go back two years as we were getting ready for 4th of July in 2019, and we had to bring tanks and Bradley fighting vehicles into D.C., lost two or three nights of sleep as I was worried about putting tanks through M Street into the 100-year-old sewer system in Washington, yeah. D.C. That was the only time I've really <laughs> lost sleep in this command was uh, as I was uh, saying, Here's, we're going we're to bring an M1 tank on a uh, you know heavy equipment transport down M Street. And it worked okay, but it was... Uh, a little unnerving. And that's oh, for the Fourth yeah. of July parade, right? Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. so Fourth of July yes. parade makes yes. you lose sleep. Yes, oh, it did. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the answer I was expecting. <laughs> of all things, I love it. So, as MDW commander, you do get to participate in a lot of ceremonial events, things with the president, the vice president, first lady, and so on. What was the most memorable event along those lines that you got to participate in? Do you have any great stories that you can share with us? I'll share a few. How about that? Sure. Um, so, you know, had had the privilege of doing, you know, probably six uh, six or so ceremonies with President Trump and Mrs. Trump, and then you know the inauguration with uh, President Biden and Mrs. Biden, as well as Vice President Harris and, and Mr. Emhoff. Um, and what I took from all of those ceremonies is their appreciation for our service members, their um, approachability, and that I mean clearly. It's the president, the first lady, the vice president, the, the second gentleman. But they were so approachable and humble when you were in person. And those snapshots, I will always remember. Um, so a couple funny stories for you. So we were going to do a um, commemoration of the beginning of the Korean War uh, mm-hmm. with President Trump and Mrs. Trump last spring. It was one of our first pandemic ceremonies. And uh, if you know, there's a little ramp that leads up from, you know, kind of the, the, the mall area up to where the figurines are, for, where the soldiers are, uh, the statues uh, for the Korean War Memorial. Sure, yes. And it rained that morning. So I walked it ahead of time, and I'm briefing. It's just uh, the, the Trumps and myself. And, and, I, and I'm briefing him, and I said, you know, uh, Madam First Lady, uh, you know, I, I know you're wearing heels. Mrs. Trump had pretty high heels. <laughs> and I said, I've already walked. I'm going to walk very slow up here because I don't want you to slip on the, on the wet concrete. And the president looks at me and goes, hey, what about me? You 
you don't want me to slip, do you? you know, so I was kind of laughing. The other President Trump story, and actually it was a previous ceremony, which was our first one in the pandemic, which was the end of World War II in Europe. It's the same thing with the World War II Memorial. And we're doing a ceremony, wonderful ceremony. And we had some World War II veterans there. And, uh, you know, the president had a chance to talk to them. And he and the first lady went around, you know, each of the, you know, rather than the whole reflecting pool there. It was just memorable. So we got finished. And I, and I pulled my uh, MDW Joint Task Force coin out. And I said, Mr. President, uh, and again, this is the beginning of the pandemic. I said, I will give this your security detail, you know, if you prefer. But on behalf of all of our service members, I wanted to give you a coin. And President Trump took it out of my hand. And he was just, again, as grateful as can be. <laughs> and it was a nice moment. And so my social media blew up. All my, you know, West Point college classmates were saying, high school classmates were saying, did you just coin the president? But then about 45 minutes later, there came the phone call from the White House, White House staff that, you know, you just could have exposed the president. You gave him a coin. And so I felt, I felt oh, bad about that piece of it. Yeah. I was still really glad the president wanted the coin and took yeah, it. Yeah, that um, was pretty cool. Unfortunately, I didn't have COVID. He didn't have COVID, so we were okay. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, expose them to what? Yeah, yeah they were worried about, worried about it on the coin. It's, I hadn't <laughs> thought about that, but it was still a neat oh. moment. But the last one I'll share you. So it's Inauguration Day. And I, I just had had the privilege of, uh, you know, leading the president, first lady, vice president, second gentleman down the steps. We get in the motorcade and, and we've got my vehicle, the presidential motorcade. We go over to Arlington National Cemetery, which first inauguration we've ever done a wreath laying during the inauguration. And um, we've got a little tent uh, set aside and, you know, I, I'm briefing, briefing the four of them and, and Tracy's there with me and we're about to do the ceremony. And again, just the humanity of at the end of the day, all these people with incredibly important jobs, they're still people. Yeah, and yeah. Mrs. Biden leans over and she's fixing the president's hair. Um, <laughs> and he kind of looks at me and, shr- and shrugs and goes, there's not much left. So that's the point. <laughs> I took off my hat and said, sir, I can understand entirely. I showed him my bald head. And it was just just a very normal conversation. And then, then we go out and here's our new president honoring our fallen and unknown in Arlington. Yeah. But it was those little snapshots that um, will, will just uh, stay with me uh, as I uh, change command. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's nice to hear too, because... Yeah. For somebody like myself, the president's a little out of reach, <laughs> right, you know, right. and so I only see what I see yeah. um, in the media and everything. So yeah. I always love hearing those stories to hear he's a he's a cool guy. Yeah. He's from Scranton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I'm from Pennsylvania. I worked in Scranton for many years. He was only there as a small child, but yeah. we're going to claim it as much as humanly possible. So sometimes I still see a little bit of that Scranton attitude come out of him a little yeah. bit. And so it's it's nice to know that he's carrying that with him, yeah. the presence. And even even with Mr. Trump and Mrs. Trump, mm-hmm. and she probably could run in those heels. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, she is yeah. a class act, supermodel. She, she was probably more concerned about you slipping and falling than her. <laughs> very, very true. Yeah. Very true. Well, yeah. one, thing, one thing I love yeah. that you brought up, um, you talked about, you know, Arlington and you talked about, you know, these ceremonies that we've had. One of the things that I wanted to ask about was about now that, you know, now that we've been through a year of this pandemic, how do you feel about the fact that we've been able to keep things like Tomb of the Unknown Soldier going in spite of everything that's going on? How, how do you feel about that? I think it's incredible. Yeah. And, you know, I've had the privilege of listening to General McConville talk about this a few times as our chief staff of the Army, and his language has been that you know, the Army has to operate and perform its mission in any environment, you know, whether it's the desert, whether it is Arctic, whether it's in the mountains, whatever it happens to be, and the environment changed. And the environment changed because now we're in a pandemic, but the mission remains the same. And I think our sentinels at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, I think uh, what the Army Band and the Old Guard do every single day in Arlington National Cemetery, and all of those other things across the Army, not just MDW, that has continued. You know, the training, the um, rotations at the National Training Center, the Joint Readiness Training Center, deployments across the world has shown that the Army is still going to do its job and it's still going to be there when the nation calls, 
even though the environment change has changed. Right. And when the environment changes back, the Army's going to continue to do its job and continue to be there for our country. I, I, I found it inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not yeah. going to lie. Uh, it, it always made me kind of proud, even though I'm out now, like just to know that our people are still out there doing everything that they can to to still make the mission happen. Because I don't think anybody could have foreseen something like this happening in our lifetime. Right. And yeah. we've still been able to do what we do. Yep. It's just, it's just great. I feel I like the Army's kind of like made it like roll off the shoulder like, eh, we got this. Yeah. Pan- pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. <laughs> all of because the branches, all of the branches, like they're just like, we got this. Yeah. Like we do this. This is what we do, you but, know? But you're absolutely right, yeah. sir. Just because there's a pandemic, we can't just be like, oh, well, Army shut down. Yeah, go home. Exactly. See you next year. Like exactly. that's, that can't happen. Yeah. That's not in our, our vocabulary to stop yeah. what we're doing. We just yeah. have to find a new way to do it. And we've kept doing exactly. it and we kept, keep doing it safely, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, it yeah. is pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of new ways of doing something. Yeah. And, you know, the Army, one thing I love about the Army is I always hear the people first motto. Yeah. Right? And it's like, I know the mission's important, but you can't do the mission without the people. And the Army has put together something new to help those people. Mm -hmm. And that is the uh, new app called Digital Garrison. And it's really there for our service members, our Mm -hmm. families that live on the installations. I'm sure you have it downloaded on your phone. Absolutely. Use it every day. That's right. That's (laughs) right. So... What do you think of this? How do you like the app, and how do you think it's really going to improve the quality of life for our people? Well, I'm biased um, because my <laughs> understanding is from the from the IMCOM commanding general, Lieutenant General Gabram, that when I get down to IMCOM as, as his deputy, that'll be my portfolio. So I, I am oh, no. I, okay. I am in, uh, intimately interested in uh, both uh, both the app and how we can make it better. I think it's a great initiative. I, I do. As soon as it came out, you know, I downloaded it on my phone. I yep. use it. I was in San Antonio about two weeks ago visiting IMCOM headquarters, um, and that was the first thing I did was Digital Garrison, Joint Base San Antonio, and, you know, really look at things there. Um, what I really want, and this is back to our discussion about housing, is feedback from the folks that are out yeah, there in the community. Sure. What more can we do? If it could be the one-stop shop so when someone comes on an installation not just transitioning in so that it helps them with the processing and finding things, but also day-to-day if you right. were on the installations. You could get hours for different services. You could find out you know, how to get to a you know, child development center or a library or AFI services. There's an incredible potential there. So I, yes. I think it's a, it's a great tool, and I'm excited to see where it's going to grow. Yes. So that for your listeners out there, please give feedback. Uh, yeah. Please let us yeah. know what... Uh, what you want added to the app, whether it's a link or another capability, um, the IMCOM team that's working it is uh, incredible. I met all them uh, down in San Antonio, and uh, they want that feedback, and uh, uh, they want to keep making it the app a choice uh, for Army installations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome. A little bit of a shameless pop mm-hmm. plug. We've actually revamped our community. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> We've actually revamped our community page on the, on the Fort Meade mm-hmm. website. And incorporating something like that into the app might be a good way to start that connection between, you know, for the housing stuff and and people coming or people who have been here finding resources all in one location. So whenever you have time, (laughs) (laughs) I know you're a very busy guy. Joe, I'm sure this is the top of his list. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) If it is on the website, though, it can automatically link to the app. Exactly. Which is is great. Exactly. Which is fantastic. So, and that, you know, and that really ties into something. That I don't know how, how many people know this. We all know this. Sure. But you have a public affairs background. Yeah. And, uh, well, he was Mr. Army Public Affairs. I know. For, I don't exactly. know about that, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, before he yeah. became the MDW commander, yeah. right? So, yeah. so, so how has that helped you as, uh, you know, while yeah. you've been in, with the MDW? 
Well, just for clarity, so yeah. I'm an infantry officer and, you know, had been, you know, what, I guess the 26 year or so mark when I got the, uh, okay, your next assignment is going to be the chief of public affairs. You're going to ACPA. My response was, what's an ACPA? Uh, <laughs> so, um, but it was an incredible experience. Learning curve was very, very steep, but to be the chief of public affairs for the Army for those two years um, it was um, amazing. I mean, just the opportunity, one, to, to hear our senior leaders, Secretary Esper, General Milley, Secretary McCarthy, General McConville, and, and all the leaders that I had the privilege of just being in a room with um, while I had that job. Um, I learned so much about communicating for a purpose, how mm-hmm. to communicate. Um, but I think the biggest thing that really helped me in my current job from being the chief of public affairs is, is understanding the strategic environment, uh, understanding mm-hmm. um, how things that happen at uh, at the tactical level, you know, in one unit on one installation, can impact the army uh, across the entire insti- right. institution, um, and how you put things in that strategic context. And I, I know I did not have a good feel for that prior to being the chief of public affairs. And the other part um, is I had served with very few public affairs professionals until that point, just a mm-hmm. traditional infantry career and the jobs I had had and not had a lot of interaction other than our command uh, public affairs officers. And, and to get a chance to spend time with and serve with the entire career field and to see the number of dedicated soldiers and civilians that are out there just trying to tell the Army story is yeah. um it was it was a great experience. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't surprise me yeah. that you were infantry. I didn't know this, but I have this theory that infantry officers make great public affairs people. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. I've 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 worked with I've worked in the communications field for a long time, not always with the army, mm-hmm. but my husband's an infantry guy, and I've so I've met a lot of intra- infantry folks, and I feel like for some reason, maybe it's that whole boots on the ground, actually yeah. physically with the people of other countries of other cultures throughout these missions. There's just a different compassion that comes across mm-hmm. and a different connectivity that I see a lot in infantry. Yeah. So it's it's interesting how I've I've noticed that, and it doesn't surprise me. That's very cool. I'm gonna, <laughs> I should if I ever get my PhD, I'm gonna write my thesis on infantry yeah. officers make the or infantry infantry not necessarily officers. You don't have to be an officer, um, but infantry makes great PAOs. Yeah. What what's one important a lesson that you learned at your time here at? MDW. And you're going to laugh at me for being cliche. So that's my kind of okay. warning up front. I, I learned this all the way back. I, I probably did not do this very well as a, as a lieutenant, um, but had a phenomenal battalion commander when I was a captain. Uh, later went on to re- retire as a four-star general, uh, uh, General Bob Brown. And he really inculcated in our entire team um, what it meant to put people first and what it meant to build strong, cohesive teams. And, you know, we were doing that when he took battalion command at Fort Hood back in 1998. And uh, I, I learned those lessons from him and have, have tried each job I've had since to, to try to do that same thing. Um, and I have found that in this job in particular, um, because of the diversity and breadth of the mission set, that when I've been able to focus on, let's take care of our people. Let's make sure that we are keeping them informed, we are listening to them, we are connecting with them, or making sure we understand that they understand that they are valued for each and everything they do. Everything else is going to kind of follow. Right. And that's the approach I've taken in, in command. And uh, as I said about the inauguration, just as one of many examples, uh, the, the team has impressed me every single time. Yeah. Um, that when you put people in those positions where right person, the right job at the right time, and then you give them the resources and you, you empower them, it's just, right. uh, it's great to see. Yeah. 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 It's great. And it's great to, yeah. to work for people who let you do that. Yeah. yeah. And that's I why agree. you had such a great team there. That's amazing. Yeah. 
So what would you say, because I mean, you've given us a lot of great examples of some great yeah. things that have happened uh, throughout the MDW, but what would you say are some of your highlights from, from your time at MDW? Well, we hit the, the national events, and yeah. you know, I talked about you know, the uh, end of the day on inauguration and, and what a great highlight that was, but it's also going to be so many of, of the small things. You know, it's it's going to be you know spending time with Colonel Island in his office here, just just talking to him and, and talking about talk about the community and, and Fort Meade, and you know you can see how excited he gets about the opportunities for us to help you know uh, encourage local companies to hire our folks that are yes. transitioning yeah. and partnership with the local community and just all the potential. It'll be moments like that where we've watched and I've had the privilege of being with those with those leaders on the team that just have embraced what they're doing. Yeah. You, you go over to the field band and, you know, doing uh, physical training around Berber Lake with the field band. <laughs> and these are incredible Ph.D. musicians, and, and they're also incredible soldiers. And yes. it'll be those moments that, um, you know, I will absolutely take with me. It'll, it'll be that, um, that, that personal interaction with our teammates. Yeah. yeah. So when you, when you head to San Antonio to MCOM, what are some experiences here at MDW that you'll take with you? Like any best practices, anything that you've mm-hmm. seen here, you're like, I'm going to take that to MCOM. A lot. <laughs> um, That's good. And, and, That's good. And, yeah. and, and I'm not sure I, I spoke Garrison um, before, <laughs> definitely before the chief public affairs job, but he, probably before this job as well. And I, and I still have a lot to learn. But I think the role of our Garrison commanders and their staffs and their teams, I think, has always been really important. And I think the pandemic has only underscored that. When you look at mm-hmm. who are those critical leaders who have kept our communities safe and have protected all of those important uh, missions that happen on our installations, it's been the garrison commanders that have been leading that with, you know, hand in glove with our medical partners like Colonel Michael here and the medic yeah. over at Kimbrough. And I think that will be a perspective that I will take as I go to um, MCOM and go to San Antonio is the importance of those garrison commanders, you know, for not just being mayors of those, um, of <laughs> those installations, right. but, you know, they bring the community together, they're community organizers, they are, um, you know, critical to the, the readiness building that happens on the installations. But, but I think their role and the role of the garrison teams will be a big takeaway for me as I look at the Army has 97 garrisons. So as I go yeah. from four to the 97 that um, hopefully I can help uh, General Gabram in his leadership, it will be, okay, how, how do we put garrison commanders in positions where they can be successful in all right. the missions they have. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, somebody works for the garrison. That's great to hear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so before we get into our next part, and this yeah. is one of our favorite parts, yes. we'll, we'll talk about it in a moment. I just want to know, is there anything, anything you want to add, anything we might've missed, anything you want to yeah. share? Well, I was, so I was talking to a, a couple folks over in Colonel Island's office this morning. Um, and I said this is my last official visit uh, to Fort Meade. But I remember coming to Fort Meade as a child. We had family friends that were living here on the installation. Again, I, I don't come from a military family, but had family friends that were on the installation. We would come visit them. You know, I remember, you know, 10, 11 years old. You know, I completed my West Point physical in the basement of Kimbrough in 1987. Wow. Tracy got her first family member ID card in June of 1992, right after we got married. <laughs> it was an old World War II building. I don't know where it was here on the installation now, but it was an old, one of those old wooden World War II buildings. But this has always been, um, you know, Central Maryland is our hometown, and Fort Meade has been our hometown post. And 
I have been humbled and honored to um, be part of the team the, the past two years, and it's been an incredible experience to be able to work in and around your hometown. This is a special place. You know, I, I am very biased. Maryland's a special place to live. Uh, Fort Meade is a special post, and it's a special community around here. And uh, um, I'm not going anywhere. Um, we, we will keep coming back. And when the Army finally tells me to retire, hopefully not today, hopefully a few years <laughs> down the road, when the Army tells me to retire, we're coming right back, and we're going to be part of, uh, part of the Meade community, um, but as a soldier for life. And, I, and I'm fantastic. looking forward to that. But thank you all for hosting me today. It's good to be here. Thanks. You know. Awesome. Now we get speed round, lightning round. The lightning round. So the point of this is just to answer the questions quickly. Just a little chance to get to know Major General Jones here. So Joe, kick it off. So, sir, what is the last book you read? Okay, well, caveat, health warning up front. I'm going to slow some of your questions down just a little bit. Okay, sure, sure, sure. So I'm going to give you three. How about that? Okay. Okay. So last book I I read was The Splendor and the Vile by Eric Larson. Okay. But it was about Prime Minister Churchill in the time from when World War II started until uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor. So when really the Battle of Britain. Oh, wow. What I liked about it was it talked about him as a leader, but also as a father and a husband and how he worked through those um, during a pretty incredible period. The other one, actually my first my uh, first son, my oldest son, who's the first lieutenant down at Fort Hood, recommended was The End of October by Lawrence Wright. It is a fiction book about a pandemic um, that was written before COVID-19 and in a very interesting perspective to look at it after uh, you know all we've been through for the past 14 months. But I subscribed to Kindle Unlimited a while back. Mm-hmm. I think I have read every zombie book that is on oh. Kindle Unlimited. <laughs> nice. and my wife and I have had some serious conversations about <laughs> would you rather be a fast zombie or like a Night of the Living Dead slow zombie. Ooh. I've opted for fast zombie, okay. um, but I've, I've gotten on a zombie <laughs> book kick, and I think I've read them all. Nice, yeah, nice. So there nice. you go. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite thing you've watched on Netflix during the pandemic? Easy, Cobra Kai. The only, oh, yes. only question is, well who's said. the good guy and who's the bad guy? Is it Daniel or Johnny? I mean, John, I saw, John, I Johnny's the, the good guy. Isn't that great how yeah. they kind of flipped that dynamic? Yep. yep. I got to tell you, I think it's Johnny too. Yeah. That's not where I started yeah. with it, but it's Cobra Kai. Because I never liked Karate Kid growing up because I always thought Danny was a dweeb. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like him. So I was like, go. whatever. Yep. And, now, and then when I watch Cobra Kai, I'm like, I totally love Johnny Lawrence. Johnny's just so relatable now. Yeah. Like, I mean, because you don't really know him in the original movies. You just know him as yep. kind of the jockey butthead, you know? But now Which he still just, kind of is, but he yeah. embraced it. But, but you want him to yeah. do well. Yeah. You know, he wants, oh, yeah, exactly. Cobra Kai, absolutely. Exactly. Excellent, so. excellent. So one of my favorite questions is Star Trek or Star Wars? And I think you're actually missing part of the question. Ooh. Because you could go either which portion of Star Wars or which portion of Star Trek. Ooh. I am firmly old school Star Trek. Nice. From the 60s. William Shatner, oh. old school Star well Trek, said. no doubt about well it. Said. There you well go. Yeah. Nice. Brian yeah. Spann in the studio yeah. clapping in the background You're on that one. a round one. of applause. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So going into your PAO days here, Oxford comma, yes, yes. or no? Yes. Because no. you, you don't know where the list stops. If you don't have that last comma, you, know, you don't know, is it still on the list? Is it a next uh, phrase? You have to have the Oxford comma. Oh, I hate the Oxford comma. <laughs> I'm so disappointed. I thought I was going to get... Somebody say, yeah, we don't need it. Nope. And by the way, my wife said, too. She's a uh, school counselor, and she said, absolutely, Oxford comma. So I'm just oh, sharing nice. that with you. So there you go. <laughs> well, I, I am not. I'm standing my yeah. ground. <laughs> Place you were looking forward to visiting the most post-pandemic. Well, I'm going to cheat on this question a little bit. So okay. I will change command, like I said, early June, and then I've got to be in San Antonio around 4th of July. So I looked at Tracy and said, we've got a little bit of time. Where do you want to go? Mm. And the top of her list was Hawaii. 
Um, I, well, I just I don't know if pandemic conditions are going to be allowed for yeah. it. So we may have to take a rain check. Um, but we lived in Europe for five years and had wonderful, wonderful trips across Europe when I was in a, you know, in the in the in the CENTCOM area. Um, <laughs> but just traveled all over Europe and uh, Northern Africa, and uh, you know, but Hawaii is the top for a list. Therefore, it's the top of my list. And when conditions are ready, <laughs> we're, we're going to Hawaii. Very yeah. good. Very good. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Favorite duty station since joining the Army? You're going to laugh at me on this one, mm. but is this job. I mean, when do you get to have an incredible job and being in your hometown and an incredible period of time? Um, this has been, without a doubt, the most fulfilling experience I've had in the Army. So right here, MDW. Awesome. Yeah. Really? That's yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, D.C. is nice and all, but I not like someplace in Europe or no, something? No, but you get all of it. You get, you know what? I'm going to, the, I'm going to go to the ocean. I'm going to go skiing in the mountains, and you're all a two-hour drive away. You know, I'm going to go down to the country in, in Virginia, and it's all right here. That's why it's, you know, Maryland is American miniature. You name it, it's that's, here in Maryland. That's true. That's right. That should be Maryland's yeah. new motto. It is. It is. Well, it's yeah. like their... America yeah, miniature? American miniature. Yeah, American miniature. Yeah. Huh. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. I, yeah. I, I believe yeah. Drake Smith said it on one of our previous uh, episodes as well. He said the same thing. Yeah, so it is a thing. All right. <laughs> Google it. If it's not a I, thing now, it will be. I, be, I, go, hey, so. I believe you guys. <laughs> I believe you guys. Um, so what was the best piece of advice you were, you were given? You have two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> listen. Uh, and that's hard to do sometimes, yeah. but, but just sometimes just stop talking and listen. Yeah. Nice. Well said. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard that one before. Really? Yeah. yeah I've it. heard that yeah. one before. It doesn't that's make good. well for PAO podcasters, though. No, no. We talk no. a lot. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but no, that, that is great advice and something we can all use no matter what you're doing in life. Give us your best restaurant recommendation in the region. Okay. Again, I'm native, so I'm so, from this yeah. area, yeah. so it's going to be seafood. Of course. So if you of want course. the best seafood, the best crab cake in central Maryland, in this area, G&M Seafood up in Linthicum Heights. That is the best crab. I've tried them all. But if you want the best crab cake, best seafood in the area, go to G&M. Sherry's um, writing this go. down. I'm writing lots go. of notes down. I got some book <laughs> recommendations. Go. You got it. Okay. Um, but I'll also tell your listeners, broader than just restaurants, if they have not crossed the county line from Anne Arundel County to Howard County and checked out Old Ellicott City, go check it out. It is an incredible, it, it was like taking, you know, going back through history. Yes, um, it is an amazing awesome. place to go visit. Go check it out. Yes, Ellicott yeah. City is gorgeous. Yep. Definitely worth the day trip up there. Yeah. Who, who is your favorite military general? So you want me to say Omar Bradley, um, but... Um, I know who I want you to say. Joe and I were taking bets earlier, so let's no, but, but so, but so I'm the fourth, um, Omar Jones the fourth, and my great-grandfather was a tobacco farmer on the eastern shore of Maryland when Omar Bradley was still a cadet at West Point. So wow. no name connection, nothing at all. My favorite general is actually uh, General Marshall, and I have reflected on um, General Marshall's leadership a lot during the past two years, and you know, where he really got us through some challenging times as a country and his steadfast leadership and also keeping the military apolitical, which is so important to yeah, our right. country. And I think you provided us a great example. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Your, your, your crew's out here giving us the, the, it's time for you to go. So last question, okay. promise. Yeah. Last question. <laughs> Favorite installation in the MDW National Capital that Region? Is such a softball. My <laughs> well, favorite maybe. We'll Army see. installation in the state of Maryland 
is Fort Meade. There you go. Easy. Of course we yeah. want you to of say course. that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> we were debating. We're like, well, maybe he'll say like McNair or Belvoir since that's down where he's at. But Oh, no, no, no. Favorite army installation in the state of Maryland is Fort Meade. No doubt about it. But but in the National Capital Region. Yeah, see? I'm not going to play favorites. I've got <laughs> four wonderful it's, installations. <laughs> As I said, when the army tells me to retire, my hometown installation will be Fort Meade. Okay, I'm going to take it that. I'll take that. He basically we'll, we'll said Fort Meade's the favorite. I mean, I get it. I get it. <laughs> wink, wink. No, yeah. Mm-hmm. We know. <laughs> yes. We also know we're his favorite podcast, too. Yes. But, but that's a whole other thing. Major General Jones, this has been awesome. Thank you yes. so much for taking the time to stop by, especially on your last official visit well, here to I Fort Meade. I appreciate it. Sherry and Joe, thank you both very much. And thank you for the community. Um, this is a, it's a great podcast, and uh, you all do a great job of just connecting the community here. And thank you for what you do. Thank you. So this next story is for anyone who is new to Fort Meade. It's also for folks who have lived here for a while, but maybe aren't quite ready for what's about to happen. Any day now, it'll be cicada season. And all the experts think this season, which comes around once every 17 years, is going to mean far more cicadas than we've ever seen before. And they're calling it Brood 10. Mary Doyle has the story. I'm going to bring you into what we call our taxonomy room. Uh, We use this for identification of insects. James Butler is a medical entomologist with Medcom's Public Health Command Atlantic. His lab, located in an unassuming brick building on Fort Meade, is filled with petri dishes, microscopes, and magnifying glasses. He says the most important thing for an entomologist is good eyesight, because usually he studies mosquitoes and ticks. You know, entomologists, you know, we, we get into really fun things with bugs. But this year, he'll be paying attention to cicadas, and you don't need a magnifying glass for them. Uh, with this, there's so many that are going to be coming out, um, it's, uh, it's going to be fun. This year's crop of cicadas is different in a big way. For some reason, this particular one has just exploded. They exploded. So we're going to have cicadas. Lots of cicadas. So many cicadas, they're calling it Brood X. The noise is made by the male cicada. He uses it to attract a female. They mate. She lays eggs. This is a female, and that that needle coming out, that is what's called the ovipositor. That is what she um, cuts the, the limb and then deposits the eggs through that. Uh, they grow a little bit, and then they'll drop down into the ground. They drop down, and they burrow deep into the earth. Right now, billions of cicadas are resting in the ground, snuggled up against tree roots, eating sap, and biding their time. They each have their own calendar. James Butler. That's where they'll live for 17 years. When the ground temperature reaches about 65 degrees, they'll come out and shuck off their outer husk. The husks will be lying all over the place. Then the almost two inch long insect will continue their process from birth to mating to egg laying to death, all in about six to eight weeks. But there will be cicadas around, uh, especially wherever there's a a wooded area, because 
they're emerging coming from trees. So if you're in an area where there's not a whole lot of trees, you're probably not going to have quite as many. They're big. Their wings are longer than their bodies, and they look a bit like fairy wings. It's a good thing they don't swarm, because they could be frightening. The truth is, all cicadas want to do is eat sap and mate. First impression, pulling into a gas station to, to fill up my truck, and um, there were just cicadas all around the, the gas pump, and kind of flying around here and there, kind of have, uh, but they were just kind of everywhere. And then the sound, uh, I was used to living in Texas, uh, some of the cicadas down there have a very distinctive uh, mating sound where it kind of ramps up and then down. I was unprepared for the, the background noise of these cicadas with so many millions of them out that you just have this hum, a background loud hum. I read one estimate Upwards of one and a half million in an acre. A million an acre. At some point, this batch of 17-year cicadas grew too large for their natural predators to thin out. Every 17 years, the brood just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Here's the good news. They don't bite. If your dog or cat eat a few, they aren't poisonous. But you don't want to let them eat too many. Some people may try to kill them, spray them with bug spray. Uh, that's not necessary, but they only live for a short period of time as an adult. And generally, you know, by the time you see them, the, in their lower down, they've probably already made it. The emergence of the cicadas could be a bit of a metaphor for society's emergence after the pandemic. We weren't stuck inside for 17 years, even though sometimes it felt that way. If you'd like to participate in some citizen science, check out cicadasafari.org. Take some pictures, help map where brood X is emerging, and let people know what to expect in their area 17 years from now. You upload it and that data will go into like the maps that you can look now for future generations uh, of the cicadas, uh, so people will kind of get a better idea where they're going to be in the future. Get to know the cicadas in your neighborhood. It will be a while before you see them again. For Fort Meade Public Affairs, I'm Mary Doyle. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as iTunes. We're also on divotub.net. If you search Fort Meade Declassified.